Some of y'all know when you see the chisel video, it's a chiseling kind of sermon. So uh, last week we talked about, uh, you know, learning from the Apostle John how to, how to live a joy-filled life. And we're in 1 John, and, uh, and so I want to read a passage to you, and then I'll make comments about it afterward. But I just thought I'd read this passage. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, and uh, going through chapter 2, verse 2. It said, We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. So he's, he's talking about he's actually seen and heard what he's proclaiming to him, that Jesus came and lived and died on the cross and was resurrected. And he said, And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that you may, be, may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we will have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does, does sin, we have an advocate or a lawyer who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is our sacrifice that atones or buys back, uh, pays for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. So like last week, I, I said, we learned how to start to learn how to live a joy-filled life. And that's what we want to look at. And in 1 John 1, 4, he says, If you do as I say in this letter, then you too will be full of joy, and so will we. So we want to be full. How many of you want to be full of joy tonight or tomorrow? You know, tomorrow morning when the alarm clock goes off. You know, well, in the text we learned last week, we learned that uh, we experience fellowship and joy with the Lord when we spend time with Jesus and when, we, when we're living for Jesus. And, uh, and so we, as, as a Christian, we want to spend every minute we can with Jesus. And that's, that's just kind of what we looked at last week. Now, tonight, uh, I want to tell you that we can only live for the Lord if we learn to overcome, write this down, overcome guilt and sin in our lives. We've got to overcome, learn to overcome guilt and sin in our lives. So what is guilt? And uh, guilt is a feeling of self-condemnation that results when we violate our own moral conscience, convictions, our, our, our moral convictions. So guilt is what happens when we do something that we know to be wrong. And, uh, and, and, and we feel that guilt. See, God's created every one of us with a conscience and the capacity to feel guilt. There's a man in New York City who grabbed a woman's purse and ran. The store clerk called 911 immediately, and the woman was able to give the police a good description of him. And, and within a few minutes, the police had apprehended the thief, and they brought him back to the scene of the crime. And the thief was told to stand in front of the woman for a positive ID, and and when he heard the words positive ID, he said, yes, officer, that's the woman I stole her purse. And uh, so he just confessed right up, right? And we had a, a guy we caught that had been robbing doctor's offices over at the hospital I used to work at. And, and uh, when we caught him, the, the detective, you know, they were playing a good cop, bad cop guy with him. And, 
And the guy said, look, we know you got $4,000 out of this guy's safe. I didn't get $4,000 out of that safe. I only got $2,000 out of that safe. So, I mean, the guilty flee when nobody's knowing, you know what I mean? So guilt, uh, you know, is that feeling when we violate those convictions. Guilt is also a major cause of psychological and emotional problems. It's guilt. And if left unresolved, they'll lead to self-destructive behavior and damaged results. That guilt we're talking about there is really shame. And, and, and guilt will take away, shame will take away your sleep, it'll ruin your life and the lives of others around you. Have you ever seen somebody and all of a sudden they look old and worn out, but they're not? You know, and, and, uh, and, and often they look that way because they've been dealing with guilt, unresolved guilt, and it weighs you down and it will age you. We've got to learn to, to get rid of that. Uh, I've had different articles I've read and been told by doctors in hospitals that 70% of the people in the hospital would get well if they just knew how to resolve their guilt. I mean, think about it. If you just learn how to deal with the, the guilty feelings we have, 70%, uh, man, I, I know the hospitals would love to get rid of 70% of their patients right now. But most guilt is terrible. It's negative. But God uses guilt. Fill this in. God will often use guilt to draw us to him and for us to get right with God. I love King David because he messed up more than me. And uh, he was a great giant slayer, military hero of Israel, greatest king ever. Uh, but in spite of all that, there was a time in his life when he fell into sin. And, and uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he had her husband killed and, uh, and, uh, you know, in a battle. And, and he lived with that lie for a while. And matter of fact, he probably thought he'd gotten away with that lie. And, uh, and then one day, he couldn't get past that conviction. And, uh, and, and one day, Nathan, the prophet, his pastor, came and had a talk with him. And so David repented, and he turned back to the Lord. And look what he said about his guilt. He said, uh, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Wouldn't you like to have your record just cleared of guilt? I'm, I'm going to be preaching to some guys tomorrow afternoon that would love to have their record cleared of guilt. And, uh, and he says, what joy there is. And listen, we have that joy when you realize what God has done in your life. He's forgiven you. He's cleared you of your guilt whose lives are complete, lived in complete honesty. <clears throat> and then David said this, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like the water in the summer heat. Finally... I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And that's, that's what happens when we give our guilt, when we confess our sin to God. See, David was weak and miserable and felt like he was dying until he confessed his sin, but then his joy returned. David was able to overcome his guilt and and the sin in his life, and the shame from the past. And you and I need to learn how to do that as well. So how can we do that? What can we do to overcome guilt and get right with the Lord? Write this down. Getting right with God requires understanding our guilt. And uh, so, you know, it's like who or what causes our, our guilt, causes us to feel guilty. And some of us have perfected feeling guilty, but, but sometimes our guilt comes from the culture. Write that down. Some people are experts at making other people feel guilty. And, uh, and, and, and they'll try and make you feel so guilty so they can manipulate you into doing just about anything. How many besides me have ever had the starving kids in China thrown at you when you were a kid and didn't want to eat? You know what I mean? 
or starving kids somewhere, you know, and, uh, and, and you've had that thrown at you. Or, or your teenager uh, talks about how his friend's parents just bought his friend a new car. He wished he had parents like that, you know, and, 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 and they'll manipulate you guys. Just don't let them do it, you know, when you got those kids, you know. And that's manipulative guilt. And, and some people are experts at manipulating other people with guilt. It's the same strategy that people use when they say, if you love me, you'll do this, you know. And that's not real love. We know that, right? Manip manipulative guilt is provoked by selfishness. This isn't in your notes. This, I'm not charging you for this. This is extra. <laughs> manipulative guilt is, is provoked by selfishness. And it's, it's because we want to manipulate you to get something I want. And, and that's, not, that's not what God wants to do. We need to reject that kind of guilt. Sometimes guilt comes uh, from Satan. It comes from the devil. How many of y'all, well, I'm not going to ask how many of you believe in the devil. Jesus believed in the devil, so I believe in the devil. And there's two boys one time there arguing about whether the devil was real or not. And they were arguing back and forth, and one of them said he was, one said he wasn't. And, and uh, one, that, he finally said, look, I don't believe in the devil. It's kind of like Santa Claus. He's not real. It's just your dad. And uh, let me tell you something. Your daddy might act like the devil, but he's not the real devil. There is a real devil. The devil, the, the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil hates your guts. Wants to, he wants to steal your joy, kill your testimony, and destroy your life. That's what the devil wants. And we can't let him do that. And, uh, but we've had people try and do that to us, right? We've had people, you know, the devil will always bring up your past mistakes. He'll always remind you of what happened in Rome. When I went back and preached at my mother's church a few years ago, there was this woman just kept telling Pastor Kathy everything I did bad as a teenager. I was like wanting to like just, you know, uh, trying to think of a nice way to say it, pimp slap her, you know what I mean? It was just like, woman, would you shut up? I mean, you know, uh, she thinks I'm a good person. And, uh, you know, it's like, get thee behind me, Satan, you know I mean? it was. But that's what the devil does. He'll remind you. He'll sit there and go, man, he said, remember this? See, you know, the devil is, in Revelation 12.10, Jesus calls him the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Uh, Pastor Kathy will always look at me and say, you're the, the accuser of the brethren or the sister, you know. And, and, uh, and so he's the one that accuses us of doing wrong. So when somebody's accusing you of stuff, that's coming from the devil. Guilt is a strategy Satan uses to get us to give up on our relationship with God. I mean, uh, you know, he'll do whatever he can. We'll make a mistake, and he'll, he'll imply and make you think that you can never be right again. He'll say you can never serve God when you've, maybe you had a moral failure. Maybe you've tried to get off of drugs or alcohol, and you fall again, and, and he's just going to keep after you. Or you maybe, maybe you smoked some stuff you shouldn't have smoked when you were a kid, and he'll say, you know, you can't tell your kid not to smoke that stuff. You did it. Or, or you can't tell your kid not to have premarital sex. You did it. Or you can't tell your kid, and, and he'll use that on you because he's just trying to destroy your life. Jesus said, for your children, he calls, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees, your children of your father the devil, and you love to do evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was always hated the truth. Because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. That's the devil. He's talking about the devil. He's not talking about some concept. He's talking about a real devil, 
a fallen angel. And every time the devil tries to condemn you and make you feel guilty, you've got to decide whether you're going to listen to his lies or whether you're going to rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Might be true you've made a mistake. Might be true that you've sinned and, and you are guilty because of your sin. But that guilt that, that comes from God doesn't condemn you. It's there to bring you to, back to him for forgiveness. And that's always the purpose of, of God's guilt. But Satan will try and use guilt to destroy you by getting to, you to live in a state of condemnation where, where you think you're of no value to the Lord. I, you know, he'll never be able to use me. I've messed up too much. That kind of guilt's not from God, and I wouldn't be here if it were true. The devil, here's what the devil will do. He'll stand next to you, and he'll whisper in your ear, well, you know, you've got this, and, and there's no way with the sin in your life that you can serve God. Some of y'all felt that way, I know. He, he'll say that, that, that you've, you've done it. He'll just read the list of things you've done in your past. And, and he'll say, there's no way you can be a follower of God and do all this. What you need to do is tell him to go to the bottom of the page. Go to the end of this list, devil. Because written in red, it says, the sins of Robert's story have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you put your name in that blank too. And, 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 but the devil don't want you to know that part. And so sometimes guilt comes from culture, from Satan, and sometimes it comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, and when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is he convicts us of sin. Now, one way you can know you're a Christian is when you do something wrong, the, the, the Holy Spirit will kind of remind you that, hey, Robert, that wasn't too cool. You know, you shouldn't have done that. But you can also know that it's coming from the Holy Spirit because he never says, Robert, you're a scumball for doing that. He said, Robert, what you did is wrong. Confess it to me. Let me forgive it. Let me strengthen you so you don't do it again. That's what God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't convince you that you're bad. He convinces you that you need to confess and repent. And there's a big difference between culture's guilt or shame and Satan's accusations and conviction by the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is always meant to draw us back to right relationship with God. And uh, so write that down. It's always meant to draw us back into a right relationship with God. That's, that's what guilt is. It's like a warning light on your, on your car dash reminding you, hey, you need to go fill this thing up with gas or you're going to run out or uh, whatever, you know. And, and so it's always guilt from the Holy Spirit. It's always intended to draw us back to God. Let me just tell you this. You need to know this. Uh, while, while, while our conscience will convict us, the Holy Spirit will convict us, the Bible says that our God is greater than our sins and our mistakes. God is greater than our sins and our mistakes. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We need to always remember that. And he'll forgive us based on what Jesus did on the cross, not on what we deserve or anything like that. He bases his forgiveness on what Jesus did on the cross. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, it's to bring us to repentance so the Lord can forgive us and we can live that rich and satisfying life that he wants. So getting right also requires uncovering our guilt. Now, the first impulse we always have is to cover up our sin, right? I mean, it's always a cover-up that gets people in trouble. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, y'all are, most of y'all too young, but I remember something called Watergate. It wasn't that those guys actually broke in that had to cause Richard Nixon to have to resign. It was the cover-up. The cover-up is what always gets you in trouble. 
And uh, I remember there was a governor that uh, he concocted some crazy plan. I forget which state it was, but he was having an affair on his wife. So he went, he said, I'm going backpacking. And they thought he was lost in the mountains. He's really down in South America with his honey, you know. And, uh, and so it cost him his, his job, his position, and all that. But, I mean, you know, people try and hide their sin. Look what David did. When David sinned with Bathsheba, he brought her husband home, tried to get the husband because he knew she was pregnant, tried to get the husband to go home and, and sleep with her. And he wouldn't do it. And, and got him drunk and tried to get him to go sleep. He wouldn't do it. And, then, and so then, you know, David tried to cover it up. So then he just had him killed so we wouldn't have to face it. But see, when we try and cover up our guilt, we get into trouble. Write this down. Our guilt will be exposed by the light of the Lord. John, 1 John 1, 5, it says, This message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light. And when the lights come on, the roaches go everywhere. You know what I mean? You know, it, the darkness flees. Evil flees. You don't have a lot of stuff. So we, our guilt will be exposed by the light of God. See, God's holy. He won't tolerate sin. Peter said this, but now you must be holy or set apart in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. So if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you can be sure that sooner or later, he's going to point out to you your sin. He's going to expose it at some time. Maybe not publicly. He's going to expose it to you. He's going to bring it to your knowledge and bring it out. So God's light will always expose our darkness. Uh, you know, and so, I mean, you know, when you think about David and, uh, and, and the sin he committed with Bathsheba, uh, you know, one thing I know is, is I'm not as bad as I thought I was. You know, and some of y'all may have that same thought because none of us have done what David's done. But, uh, you know, he thought he'd get away with it. He really did. And then Nathan showed up. And Nathan didn't contact. Nathan just told him. You remember the story. Nathan just showed up and he said, Hey, look, king, there's a problem in your kingdom. You need to judge. A poor man uh, had, had a pet sheep. And one day his neighbor, a rich man, had some guests over for dinner. And rather than using one of his own sheep for the barbecue, he took the poor man's pet lamb. David was, was just aghast with anger when he heard the story. And he rose up to his feet and said, That rich man should die. And at least he should have to pay back four times more than what he took. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but people who are carrying a lot of guilt sometimes are quick to point a finger at somebody else. And, uh, and, and you know, that's that log in, in your own eye when you're pointing at a speck in somebody else's eye. And, and, uh, and so it was serious back then to steal somebody's sheep, but it's even more serious to have an affair with somebody's and then kill, the, kill the one that was offended. So David was angry. And then, and then Nathan pointed his finger right in the king's face and said, you are the man. And immediately, that's when David, the Lord's Holy Spirit, convicted David that he had sinned, and, and he repented, though. And here's the point. David thought he'd gotten away with it. But God knew what he had done. And just like the Lord knows what we've done, and at the right time, the Lord will point out our failures and convict us of sin. You, you can't get away with it. We used to have a saying when we were having staff meetings when I worked somewhere else, and and it was like, just tell you, t look at your neighbor and tell him you can't get away with it. You know, you can't get away with it. And, uh, and so the Numbers 32, 23 says this, you may be sure your sins will find you out. I don't know why Pastor Kathy's always telling me that. But anyway, uh, you may be sure your sins will find you out. 
Our guilt's going to be exposed also by the lies we tell. So for lying, 1 John says, we're, we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, and we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. See, we're, when we lie, we're trying to cover it up. We're trying to cover it up. When we say, hey, I'm living as a Christian, but I'm holding on to this old lifestyle here, then we're not practicing the truth. That's what he's saying. And see, there's a lot about lying in 1 John. If you read the, the whole book, it, it talks about that a lot. And, and uh, he, he goes on and says, hey, look, we're lying if we say we don't have any sin. And uh, in, verse eight, in verse 10, he said, if we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar. I'm not going to call God a liar because he said everyone is sin. Everyone is sin. And so we try and hide our, our sins in a lot of different ways. We try and hide our sins by lying to other people. Anybody ever done that? Don't raise your hand. It's on video. You don't want to raise your hand on video. All right, we, we lie to other people. Says, so we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. So if we say, hey, I'm living for God, but over here my lifestyle is not showing it. You know, I really hadn't changed because when we become a Christian, life changes. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays. Every day, every minute of every day, there's a change that happens. And he's saying here, but we go on living in that darkness we're lying. We're not practicing the truth. And so we're trying to hold on to that old way of living. You know, and so sometimes we tell lies and sometimes we tell lies with our actions. There was a teenager. He was going out one time and, and uh, as he's leaving, his dad said, make sure you're home by 11 o'clock. So at 2 o'clock that morning when he was sneaking back in, the cuckoo clock went cuckoo, cuckoo. And that teenager stood there and went cuckoo nine more times. So his dad would think it was 11. You know, he didn't lie with his mouth, but he lied with his actions. I mean, you know, that's like when we're trying to hold on to this old lifestyle, you're walking the fence. You're trying to pretend you're a Christian, but you want to live over here, you know, and, and, uh, and we can't do that. We also try and hide our sins by lying to ourselves. We probably lie to ourselves more than anybody else we lie to. He said, if we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You know, sometimes a person can live in fantasy long enough to where they actually have trouble separating fact from fiction. I think everybody in Congress has that problem. People who love the Lord have found themselves slipping gradually back into a lifestyle that's incompatible with a biblical Christian life. But, and, but we often think it's okay because everybody's doing it. Let me tell you something. Everybody's not doing it. And if they were, it don't matter because we're to live the way God's called us to live. Now, some people, write this down, refuse their guilt. They refuse, they abuse, and they excuse their guilt. So let's look at some people refuse their guilt. They try and block that guilt out of their minds. They suppress it. They act like it's not there. And, and if you do this too often, your conscience is going to be seared, and you'll become a person who can do bad things and really not feel bad about it because your conscience has been seared. And there's a, there's a point where you can get to where God just turns you loose, and, and that's where you are. And you're headed to a, a road of destruction. It's like a football player. Since we're fixing to start football season. It's like a football player. The defensive back hits the receiver before the ball ever gets there. And then he looks like he's surprised when they throw the flag on him. You know? And, uh, and, and so 
you know, it's like, have you ever seen them when they do that? Uh, except for the guy that hit the Saints player and kept us from going to the Super Bowl. He didn't act like he did anything, you know. But, but oftentimes they'll just look like, who, me? What? I mean, they're looking up at the thing. And, you know, you see, you hit them five minutes before the ball got there and, uh, and stuff. And, and that's the way people that refuse their guilt are. They just don't admit they're guilty. Some people abuse their guilt. These are people that are so overcome with guilt that they feel guilty about everything. You'll do something wrong and they'll feel guilty about it. I mean, you know, it's, it's like a dog that tucks his tail every time somebody raises his voice. And, uh, and I had a collie like that. She'd been abused before I got her. And, man, if you just raise your voice, you'd just tuck down. And that's, that's people that abuse their guilt. Some people excuse their guilt. They act like they're not responsible. A lot of addic- people in addiction with strongholds in their life will act this way. We just, we just don't ever admit we're wrong. We don't admit our sin. You know, and, and we use this tactic a lot. You know, husbands will blame their, their problems on their wives and vice versa. The wife will blame the husband. Teenagers will blame all their problems on their parents. And uh, then parents don't get to blame anybody or their parents, you know. People blame things on God. People blame things on the devil. People blame stuff on the church, you know. And, uh, but in every one of those cases, we never own our responsibility. We've got to own our responsibility. We cannot excuse our guilt. We also try and hide our sins by lying to the Lord. We lie to ourselves, then we lie to the Lord. John said this in verse 10. He said, if we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar. I don't know if you want to do that or not. And, uh, and so do you see the progression? At first, you start out to conceal your guilt. You start lying to other people. Then you lie to yourself. Then you lie to God. And, and, uh, and, and so let me tell you, we lie to God in a whole, one of the big ways we lie to God is we just change the terminology. I'm not sinning. It's just, it's just an issue. I'm not a sinner. I'm just sick. You know, I'm not deceitful. I've just got to compete in a tough industry. It's not adultery. It's just a harmless escapade. I don't have an anger problem. It's righteous indignation. I'm not gossiping. Here's one. I'm not gossiping. I'm just giving a prayer request. See, God calls that sin. We say, no, no, it's not my fault. I mean, when God found Adam and said, who told you were naked? He said, the woman did it. Then the woman pointed at the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. I mean, that uh, came off one of Steve's websites probably. He's back there shaking his head. Abraham Lincoln said, if you're going to lie, you better have a good memory. Tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. Lies never work. They'll catch up with you every time. Our guilt is also exposed by the losses in our life. The losses in our life. See, when we hide our sins, we lose fellowship with the Lord, and we lose the joy of our life. We lose that joy. Our sin robs us of joy in life and fellowship with the Lord. Our sin will rob us of joy in life and fellowship with the Lord. That's why David said this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. See, David was asking God to forgive him. He said, Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Purify me. He said, Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You'll prove right when you say in your judgment, is just against me. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, 
But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. He goes on to say, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Then here's, here's a, a, a prayer you can pray. <laughs> he said, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. You hear David just pleading to the God? I mean, he's confessed his sin. He's wanting restoration. He said, don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me uh, for shedding blood, O God who saves. And I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. What an awesome psalm. I mean, David is sitting here. He's wanting his joy. He's wanting his joy restored. He's wanting his joy restored. See, when you've got unconfessed sin in your life, you're going to feel miserable. And you when you refuse to deal with it, you're going to feel miserable. You're going to feel bad. And, and life will just drag by like a turtle going across the road. You know what I mean? It just goes slow. You pray, nothing happens. You know, it's like a stone up here. And, uh, and you don't have any peace. You don't have any power. You don't have any purpose. And John's saying here that we, to live a joy-filled life, uh, when we cover up sin, we'll lose that joy. That's why David cried out, restore the joy of my salvation. See, when you live a life of sin, that's what happens. I love stories of dumb criminals. There was a man in Seattle. He attempted to siphon gas from a motorhome. But he put the hose down in the wrong tank. And he siphoned up the sewage tank. And when the police arrived, he was curled in a fetal position. And they had to take him to the hospital before they took him to jail. I mean... Here, let me tell you, when you live a life of sin, you're going to get more than you bargained for, all right? <clears throat> Solomon said this, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they'll confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So that's all the bad news. So getting right requires, write this down, overcoming our guilt. Now, I've just given you the bad news. I don't know which way you like it first. Good news, bad news when you're getting your news. But we just heard the bad, so now let's look at the, the good. The bad is we've all sinned. The good is uh, that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So write this down. Overcoming guilt involves confessing our sins. Write that down. Well, you don't have to go do 50 different things. You just need to confess your sins. You confess your sins. Now, when it comes to getting right with God, you only have to confess to Him. Uh, and, and, uh, and so there, there's some value in having a trusted person you can talk to. James even says confess your sins to each other so that you can pray for each other and you may be healed. And there's some value in that. But to get right with God, you just got to go talk to God. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to go with anybody else. That word confess actually means you agree. So to confess your sins to God means I'm agreeing with God that what I did was wrong and that it's sin. It's not an issue. It's not a weakness. It was sin. When I lied, it was sin. When I cheated, it was sin. And, and we're agreeing with God on that. And, and, uh, and we're agreeing in confession. And then we have to turn away from that sin. And we can do this with God's help. 
You may think, well, I can't stop. Well, the Bible says I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You see, I can confess my sin and I can turn away from it through Christ who gives me strength. That means you can overcome your anger problem. You can overcome your lust problem. You can overcome your lying problem, your rebelling problem, your stealing problem, that lazy problem, that selfishness problem. If you'll ask the Lord to help you, you can overcome it. Some parents one time found their, their, their child had his hand down in a vase and they couldn't get the hand out. And they tried every way in the world. They put a little soap around it, couldn't get his hand out. Finally, they just broke the vase and they found out he had a quarter in his hand. He wouldn't turn that quarter loose to get his hand free. And that's really what happens in life. You know, the reason we stay in the bondage to our guilt is that we're not willing to let go of that sin that's causing that bondage. I want to hold on to that that habit I got. I want to hold on to those friends I have. I want to keep going to that place I like to go to. and We don't want to turn that loose, and so we stay in bondage. We've got to turn that loose so we can get our hand out. Overcoming guilt requires receiving God's forgiveness. One, it requires confessing, and then two, it requires receiving God's forgiveness. We've got to receive God's forgiveness. He said, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. He is faithful to forgive us. So we got to receive it. Talked to so many people. I was talking to a kid uh, <clears throat> last week, and, and I shared this with him. He said, he can't forgive me. I done done some stuff. He's like 16 years old. It's like, but he is, in there, he is in reward for murder. But, I mean, you know, he, he, he's done some stuff. Let me tell you, there's nothing that God won't forgive you. There's nothing. Over, overcoming guilt just requires us to receive that. There's nothing the Lord won't forgive you for if you repent and turn to him in humility. I love the Psalm 51. It says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. When we turn to God in humility, he will always forgive us. Doesn't matter. Write this down. Overcoming guilt requires experiencing the Lord's cleansing. He says not only will he forgive us, but he will cleanse us from all our wickedness. He'll cleanse us from all our wickedness. Now I work a lot on a computer. And one of my favorite parts of a computer is under the edit tab where it says undo. Anybody ever use that besides me? You make an error, maybe you delete a paragraph, and you go, oh, no, what did I do? Undo. You can undo a long way back and, uh, and, and just keep undoing and that's what God does. When we confess our sins, he gives us an undo. He will undo what we've done. It says, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. So why would God forgive our sins and release us from our guilt? Why, why would he do that? Now, I'm going to tell you real quick. Fixing to land this plane. God forgives our sins and removes our guilt because he loves us unconditionally. That means there's nothing you can do to make him not love you. He loves us unconditionally. Jeremiah said, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I've loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I've drawn you to myself. That means his love isn't going to stop. It's not going to fail. It's never going to end. One time a little boy drew a heart on the side of a library, and he wrote inside that heart, Jimmy loves everyone. Let me tell you something. I don't know about Jimmy, but Jesus loves everyone. He loves that person that gets on your last nerve. He loves them all. He loves them all. I mean, Romans 5, 8, Paul said this. 
but God showed his great love for us. I love that. His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He knew we were going to reject him. He knew we were going to make fun. He knew all this, and yet he still sent Jesus to die for us. It's awesome. God forgives our sins. One, because he loves us unconditionally. Two, because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. See, John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you who will, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. An advocate is like a lawyer who's gone to court to in front of the judge and is pleading your case. And he said, he is Jesus, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. See, he goes, as that word is paracletos, which is Holy Spirit. And John's saying, when we repent, Jesus himself becomes our defense attorney. And he's pleading our case. And he paid the price. Let me tell you something. Jesus is able to undo, forgive, and cleanse all of our past mistakes and all of our sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is able to do that. I love 1 John 1, 7. It says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. Cleanses us. I'm going to close with a story. There was an army chaplain in Vietnam. A young man was brought in, and, and he was obviously going to die. And the chaplain asked him, he said, son, is there anything I can do for you? And the kid didn't answer. He asked him a second time, and, and he said, son, is there anything that I can do for you? And he still wouldn't answer. And the third time, he leaned in. And he said, son, is there anything that I can do? And the dying soldier said, no, chaplain. I need someone who can undo some things for me. Folks, that's what Jesus has done for us. That's what he's done. He undoes the sin in our life. He gives us that restart, that forgiveness, and he cleanses us. See, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've failed, Jesus is able to undo, forgive, and cleanse your life. Doesn't matter how many times you've fallen. Doesn't matter how many times you've gotten up and said, I'm not going to do that again, and you do it again. It doesn't matter. All you've got to do is turn back to him. Let me ask you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, are you willing to do that tonight? I mean, it's not necessarily a salvation thing. It just might be.